0: Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like her parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. The final chapter.
1: I was in the vanishing house. There was water. It was rising so quickly and the consistency was thick. Like it was pulling me down and I was dragged under. It felt like falling. Like I was tumbling in a current that was taking me deeper into the mores. And I curled around the cup I still had clutched in my hands. I clamped my fingers over the improvised cover for it. Layers of plastic wrap and rubber bands... Because that was all I could think to do in my panic. I couldn't spill the cup. He would be so angry. I couldn't let it spill. Then I remember nothing else until I woke in a strange place wrapped in blankets and laying next to a fireplace. My name is Kate, and I think this is Goat Valley Campgrounds. I woke in a room with wooden floors and beige-striped wallpaper. The fireplace was brick and a handful of logs burned heartily inside its mouth. An iron poker and shovel hung on a squat stand next to it. I sat up, slowly, letting the faded quilt fall off my shoulders and onto the floor. The cup was still clutched in my hands.
2: You were caught out in the rain. Do you remember...
1: The voice felt familiar. I wasn't sure why that was. I do. It'd been raining. The campers had taken shelter on the front porch and I'd gone looking for them.
2: You were out in the cold so long. You were hypothermic. Just sit by the fire a bit longer. I'm here for you. I'll always protect you.
1: Something stirred in the back of my mind. Never in my life had anyone said they'd protect me. I remember my own mother, the strength of her arms, the lines of her muscles as she held something down against the ground, her grip taut on a knife handle. We can't protect you. You'll have to learn to do this on your own. And she'd slit the monster's throat and let it bleed out into the dirt. I wondered who this voice was then that it would make such a promise to me. It no longer felt as familiar as it did, more like a voice I'd heard in a dream. I could feel the edges of my memories fraying the more I tried to examine them, trying to place who it was that was behind me.
2: You were so cold and exhausted when I brought you inside.
1: Its tone was soothing. I felt heavy listening to it and it was an effort to keep my eyes open.
2: Do you want to sleep some more? You can sleep as much as you want. You don't have to fight anymore. Not at my house. You can finally rest.
1: I slumped to the ground, laying down on my side, and I stared at the fire. It blurred before my eyes, and I teetered there on the verge of sleep. But then I shifted, trying to get my head into a more comfortable angle. And perched as needle pricked my collarbone. The voice was over me. I couldn't see it. It remained just out of my eyeshot. But I felt its presence hovering over my body like a shroud. I felt it draw the blanket up and lay it against my shoulder. Its touch reminded me of dry leaves.
2: Do you love me?
1: Something felt off. I fingered the edge of the needle I wore stuck through my shirt. It was bitter cold, I realized. There was no warmth from the fire in it. I stretched out my fingers towards the flames and felt no heat. You don't want my love. Everyone I love dies. A hiss and the presence recoiled. I continued reaching out until my fingers touched the flames, and then my entire hand was in the fire and it licked at my skin and I felt nothing but cold air. I felt the drowsiness slipping away and I pushed myself up. Then I stood, taking the skull cup as I did. I turned, the room vanished into darkness beyond the edge of the firelight, and I heard a creaking noise, like a strained rope swaying back and forth, and ragged, uneven breathing. It paused. I heard the catch in the back of its throat, and it spoke again.
2: If you will not love me, will you worship me?"
1: I reached to the side and my hand closed on the handle of the iron poker. It felt real enough. I took it with me and stepped forwards, to the edge of the light. I worship no god and no power. Worship demands obedience and the only obligations I will carry is to my land and my family. I stepped into the darkness. I no longer heard the creak of the wooden floor as I pressed forwards, straining to place the movement of the rope and the ragged breathing. Somewhere above me, I hefted my improvised weapon uneasily.
2: Do you fear me?
1: The fire sputtered and died. I felt its breath stir the hair on the back of my head. I fear death. I whirled and swung and the poker passed through empty air. I backed up. I fear failure, but I don't fear you. Show yourself, master of the vanishing house. The quality of the air changed. It thinned. It left a faint metallic taste on my lips, and then I could see. There was no light source, merely a lifting of the darkness, and before me hung the master of the house. A human torso with the legs and head of a deer, hanging limp from the rope bound tightly around its legs. The fur was stained with black blood from where its bonds cut through its flesh. Its eyes were empty, black hollows where they once were, and dead moss hung off its antlers. Its wrists were bound together, the arms dangling lifelessly before it. It rotated slowly on the rope that held it aloft. A line bisected its belly, Then it split open, the upper body tipping back to reveal the insides, a mouth with a black throat and a tongue and white teeth slick with something like ink. The liquid dribbled down its torso as it spoke, ran along the grooves of its antlers and dripped onto the floor.
0: Do you fear me
1: now? Buddy, you are asking the wrong person. I have a dead girl knocking on my window every single night, and every morning, I get to listen to her be dragged off by a monstrous beast. And that's probably among the least of the horrific things I've witnessed. Now where is the sheriff? I brandished my iron poker for effect. I'm not sure it made a difference.
2: He didn't love me. He wouldn't worship me. And he certainly didn't fear me.
1: He's alive, though. The candle was still burning, up until the moment I set someone on fire with it. I didn't think that extinguishing the candle would actually kill him. It was a representation of his life, not his life itself.
2: I kept him. I keep all of them. Even the ones that die.
1: For what?! It told me, its words rolling out of its mouth like the toll of a bell. They echoed in my ears, sharp like needles, and I scratched futilely at my own skin to dislodge them. The inhuman things of this world can die, it said. We kill them, but there are always more. Another river spirit to drown the unwary, another hunter to stalk the lonely caught out after sundown, they exist because at some point long ago, someone made them persist so that they would not fade away when the sun rose and banished the terrors of the night like the morning fog. Someone loved them like the saints or someone worshipped them like the gods or someone feared them like the monsters.
2: It is so hard.
1: Its sorrow was like a wave. I might have wept if I hadn't come to kill it.
2: So hard to move my house. So hard
0: to make you humans find it.
1: The rope continued to twist until the mouth rotated to face me. It stared at me with dead eyes in the deer's tattered skull. The rope stopped twisting. It hung there immobile until the belly split open again the torso bobbing with every word I will make you fear me. it began to sway the body jerked on the rope and the line curved as it reached for me those bound hands suddenly full of life and it stretched its fingers out to where I stood the mouth gaped the tongue running across its oily teeth, and more liquid spilled forth to land in thick clots on the ground like tar. The darkness closed in again, robbing me of my only advantage, mobility. I swung wildly into empty air, turned, swung again. Keep moving, I thought, because while I could no longer see the monster, perhaps I could keep it at bay if I just kept moving. I felt the brush of air touch my cheek. I swung and the iron poker continued its arc without ever meeting resistance. The creak of a rope from somewhere to my right. I turned abruptly, swung again, stumbling because panic had not given me the presence of mind to catch my balance first. A hand closed on my hair. A jerk. Sudden, bright agony. And I was suspended in midair. My feet kicked wildly at empty air. I clutched at the fingers holding me, gripped the ropes that were bound around its wrists, trying to get purchase enough to take the strain off the back of my head and give me leverage to fight. My fingers slipped off the ropes, wet with black blood, fastened so tight that it was like they were simply part of its skin. I felt liquid splatter on my forehead and slide down past my eyebrows, and I closed my eyes tight, desperately hoping it wouldn't get in my eyes. My skin was numb along the path it traced. More fell onto my shoulders... Like rain on the t shirt I wore. The needle stabbed into my collarbone.
0: Fear me. Fear me.
1: More black liquid splattered on my neck and face. I let go of its fingers and my hand closed on Perchta's needle instead. It came loose at my touch. I stabbed the heavy metal needle into the creature's wrist. It shrieked. Its arms went slack and I fell landing hard on the ground. My left foot struck the iron poker and I seized it and scrambled to my feet. From all around me came the frenzied shrieks of the creature and the groan of the rope as it struggled to support its frantic writhing. The darkness lifted a fraction, enough that I could see its writhing silhouette jerking like a fish on a line. It was weak. It admitted as much. The house was so much to maintain and it wasn't getting the prey it needed. And while it suffered here in the darkness starving and desperate the sun continued to rise each morning and banish the terrors of the night once more i knew its end was near back when i decided to rescue the sheriff i swore that i would bring him out even if i had nothing but my own will to drag him free with it seemed that the time had come i am my mother's daughter after all i said nothing I felt nothing but cold, smoldering rage. An old anger that was kindled to life long ago. Perhaps when I watched my aunt choose her death. Or perhaps when I helped my father bury his horses. Or perhaps when I came of age by strangling my childhood friend. I hefted the iron poker in one hand and walked up to the master of the vanishing house. I raised it let it fall, throwing my shoulder and hip into its path to lend it the mass of my body. The meaty impact of each blow traveled up my arm, past my elbow, and into my shoulder. I felt the resistance of bone, and then the softness of when they shattered the sickening crunch, echoing through the chamber. The needle fell from its shattered arms and landed at my feet.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. This time, It sounded like it was begging. I continued to swing until my arms ached and I was panting, covered in sweat. And still the monstrosity made its demands, even as its head caved in and its body split and splattered like overripe fruit. Its legs and pelvis dangled from the ropes and the rest of it lay in a puddle of meat and bone and blood at my feet. And still it cried out, barely a wet gurgle, but a cry nonetheless. And while it could no longer speak intelligibly, its words still echoed in my mind. Love me.
2: Worship me.
0: Fear me. Make me rest.
1: I don't think that what I did next came from my own mind. I think I was guided, and considering the source, I'm okay with that. I knelt beside its broken form. I whispered to it gently that it was okay, that this was the end and that it was time to go. I picked up Perchta's needle. The white thread was still threaded through its eye and when I touched it, it began to grow. The threads multiplied, weaving together into a single strip of cloth and the whole of it elongated into a thin white sheet, a shroud, a funeral shroud, It fell over the monster's body, black bile soaking into the cloth. And then it was still and silent. And the words I spoke over it were not my own, but they were a blessing, a right. And then it was dead. The house shook around me. It went still a few seconds later, groaning ponderously. And then another tremor shook it. I glanced around me in panic. An attic. The roof was close by overhead, and the floors were roughly hewn wooden slats. In the corner lay the sheriff. I ran to him, dropping to my knees. He was breathing, but he didn't stir as I shook him. Around me, the house creaked and moaned, and another shudder sent a shower of dust and wood splinters over my head and shoulders. The cup. The last item. I hastily jerked off the covering and forced it up to his lips, tipped it and most of the liquid ran out and onto his chest but some of it went into his mouth and I saw the movement of his throat as he swallowed I gave him all of it I had to just to get some inside him still he didn't move and behind me a beam collapsed taking part of the floor with it as the house shook yet again come on wake up wake up (sighs) the liquid wasn't enough There had to be something else ingested before the poison activated. So I found a broken beam, easy enough, the house collapsing around us, and I cut my palm open on a jagged splinter of wood. I fed him my own blood. And he came to and vomited black liquid onto the wooden floor. I threw his arm under my shoulders and yelled that we had to go. We had to move. He was dazed, but my words stirred him into action and he stood. Shakily and staggered along with me, even as his body continued to convulse and bring up more and more of that sickly liquid, thick as tar. We made it outside and were halfway to Brian's car when the house collapsed behind us. I put the sheriff on the ground by the road and he continued to vomit into the grass. Kate? Kate! I'm here. We're okay. I was afraid you were still inside. What's happening to the house? I killed the master. It's dead. But, uh, let's be certain. Get the gasoline. Let's burn this place. We put the old sheriff in the backseat of the car. Then Brian and I, we soaked the remains of the house and then burned it into ash. I confess, I'm a little disappointed that the current sheriff wasn't called out by someone reporting the blaze. The downside of the house appearing in remote areas, I suppose. The old sheriff didn't remember much of the time that passed between when he entered the house and when I woke him. For him, he walked into that house only a few days ago. We took him to his wife first, and once they'd had their reunion, I told him I needed his help. The next morning, we went to meet with the current sheriff.
0: Kate, fancy seeing you show up at my office. Heard there's been a murder on your campground. "'Oh, such a shame. Can't imagine what the family will think of it.' <laughs> I
1: guess that all depends on what you tell them, won't it?'
0: "'I think you know what I'll—what—oh. Uh, 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 Sabota. Good to
3: see you again.'
1: I'm sure it was a hell of a shock with the old sheriff walking in the door behind me. One minute, Sabota is wearing a shitting grin, thinking that I was here to concede and talk about selling the land— and the next minute he's white as a sheet, thinking he's seeing a ghost, which is a reasonable thing to think. But no, the old sheriff was back and he sat himself down in the only chair opposite the sheriff's desk, and I stood at his shoulder.
3: I know you're new at this job, Sabota, and you didn't get the benefit of having me around to guide you through learning the ropes, and I'm sure you take your position very seriously, but around here, sometimes certain things need to slide you see the campground brings in a lot of money for a lot of people around here the locals
0: are behind me and i they
3: are at the moment but once they start feeling that pinch in their wallet and start wondering how the mortgage is going to get paid well your support will dry up real fast and I think you know how the locals deal with folks that endanger our town. Are, are you threatening me? Just laying out the facts. Now, Kate's family here has a bit of a reputation, I know. I'm sure you've been listening to the troublemakers, but you listen hard enough, and you'll find that there's far more people who feel that they're an asset to the community and put their necks on the line to keep people safe. You're doing them a real disservice by bad-mouthing their name.
0: That campground is dangerous.
3: Of course it is, but at least it's contained. And your job around here is to make their lives a bit easier by lending your assistance. Sometimes that is mere paperwork, sometimes it's cleaning up a body or two, and sometimes it means a little more, like risking your life to drag someone out of a vanishing house.
1: The sheriff squirmed uncomfortably at that. We all know that he wasn't the type to risk his life. Then the old sheriff leaned forwards and got to the most important part of his talk, the threats.
3: You're going to be up for re-election at some point. You know, if I run against you, you're going to lose. So if you want to keep your job, you keep your head down and stop stirring up the town. And if you want to keep your life, you stay the hell away from Kate. My life? You think the campground is bad? Wait until those things are on your doorstep. Wait until they're lurking in the woods and the fields and the barns. You've grown complacent because you're safe. I'm here to remedy that.
1: The sheriff continued on just as he had before. No smile, no change in tone. Just that matter-of-fact way of talking that impressed upon the recipient that he was a man that said what he meant and wasn't here to impress or intimidate. Just here to state how things were going to be.
3: You set foot on that campsite ever again to do anything but your damn job and I'll show up at your office and blow your brains out. And I'll just tell the town that you were working with some nasty, evil thing and maybe you are or maybe you aren't. But the town isn't going to question it. Not if I'm the one saying it.
1: And he leaned back, glanced up at me, and asked if I was happy with this arrangement. I'm not satisfied yet. I walked around the desk to where the sheriff sat. He recoiled for me. I slammed the skull cup down on the desk in front of him. Blood from what was already there. Blood freely given, and blood taken by force. He didn't have much time to react. I knew what I was going to do, and I moved quick, jabbing a thin pocket knife blade into his neck, I jerked it sideways and then blood gushed forth and I yanked it free, grabbing his hair and held his head over the cup. I didn't get much, not before the old sheriff grabbed the back of my shirt and threw me off, slamming me into the wall of the office. Kate, what the hell? Take the
3: damn cup and get out!
1: So I did. The sheriff didn't die. Amazingly, the ambulance arrived in time and they were helped by the fact that the old sheriff managed to reach inside the man's neck and pinch the artery shut and hold it shut until they arrived. It's incredible he didn't bleed to death. I'm a little disappointed. I'd intended for him to die as the man with the skull cup had said that it would take a high cost to refill it. The lifeblood of my enemy seemed like it would suffice. The old sheriff is a better person than I am. Sadly, they expect Sabota to recover. He took a couple transfusions, but apparently you can survive with only one carotid artery intact. I didn't know that. The old sheriff updated me on his condition a few hours ago, along with a lecture on how I didn't need to solve everything with violence, and I was too much like my mother. There's not gonna be any further backlash for what I did. The old sheriff knows he owes me his life, and Sabota knows I'm now untouchable by him. I keep thinking of the master of the vanishing house, I deal with a lot of old beings, but not all of them come out of humanity's history. Some are younger, crawling out of our collective cultural mores, slinking out of our shared subconscious and into our world. I guess that thing in there was just trying to hold on long enough to become a fixture in our world. I wonder how many others are trying to do the same, and how many fail every day and vanish back into the night mist from which they were formed. I wonder if they keep trying dragging themselves back time and time again, like the ocean surf on the shore. Perhaps the vanishing house was like this, appearing again and again in a desperate bid to remain in this world, to be loved, worshipped, feared. But I'm certain of what I did. It is dead, and nothing can bring it back.
0: The Goat Valley Campground series was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn and co-written with T.J. Lee. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Kyle Akers as Brian, Atticus Jackson as The Master, David Cummings as Sheriff Sabota, Jesse Cornett as the former sheriff, and Nicole Doolin as Kate's mom. This concludes the No Sleep Podcast production of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the express written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.